Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to jump right in here. Number one is uh, the, the point number one, the first line on your notes, is gratitude to God for making his way clear. Us having gratitude to God for making his way clear. <clears throat> Last week we were in Colossians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to continue on in Colossians verses 9 and 10, and I'll read these out loud for us here this week, okay? <clears throat> so we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. This is Paul and Timothy talking to all the believers that are in Colossia. He's talking to all the, the believers. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. <clears throat> I, I kind of italicized or, or kind of highlighted a, a portion in your notes, if, you're, if you have the notes, that I really want to focus on. It says, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Complete knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. So uh, when I was growing up as a kid and was in church, and actually all the way through my teen years, my 20s, and my early 30s, there was a phrase that was used a lot in church that was, and it was God's will. And everyone, it seemed like everybody I was around, everybody that I was um, uh, talking to anybody we were, you know, kind of leading in our ministry endeavors or anything, always had this question of how do I know what God's will is for my life? And it was almost like it was this undefined thing. It was just out there somewhere and God's will is out there and I don't know how to grab it, but I need to go try to figure out what is God's will for my life. And, and, and this question is rooted in a good place, right? It comes from a good uh, portion of our heart because it typically... Um, is, is uh, uh, spoken from someone who needs help making a decision. Do I take job A or do I take job B? God, let me know your will. Do I go to college A or college B? Do I forego college and do a trade school? Do I forego college and trade school and do kind of a, start my own business on an entrepreneur level? Do I, you know, whatever it is, whatever the scenario you might be in in life, <clears throat> what it's really about is people trying to find a way to make a decision and they want God to be honored and give them direction how to make this decision. So when I was, when I, when I was growing up that way, I never really knew how to figure out what God's will was for us. But here we see Paul telling all these believers in Christ, we ask, you know, that um, God to give you complete knowledge of his will. And so as I began to mature in my, in my relationship with the Lord and read into scripture more, I found out very simply that God's will is his desire. It's what he wants. It's his desire for us. And his desire is always best. You have a will. Everybody in this room has a will. You had a will, a desire to be here tonight. That's why you got ready. Hopefully you showered before you came and then came into the room here together. Um, You had a will. You had a desire and that desire was met. Um, You have a desire, your flesh has a desire, the Spirit of God living inside of you has a desire, and so you get to choose which desire you're going to to follow. 
And so when we talk about God's will, no one really you know, helped me understand that it was basically just what God wants for us. And I didn't know how to go find it because I always thought it was kind of like this game of keep away. And it's the next line in your notes. God is not playing an eternal game of hide and seek with us. I thought it was, you know, had, maybe you guys have ever seen the, uh, the movie National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. These uh, never won any awards for a reason, but they were still fun, right? Like, <clears throat> sorry, Nicholas, if you're watching. Um, uh, but, you know, Nicolas Cage is the main character. And the, basically the premise of the movies, the series, are they never end, right? Like it's you find a clue that's going to lead you to some treasure about, you know, our country, you know, like a gold mine in, in the nostril of one of the carvings of the Mount Rushmore or something like that, you know, in some odd place. Um, and then you find this clue and you decipher the riddle or the clue and it goes on to the next thing. And then you get there and like, oh, it's not really here. It's just another clue. And this cipher turns into like a code to unlock a box that has another clue in it. And it's just like, you know, clue after clue after clue. It's almost like a never ending story. That's why they had to make three of these movies. You know, I think they made three of them because the story never ends, right? There's always another clue for another treasure to be found. I kind of viewed God's will that way as if I could never really attain it. Um, it was always a, a one step ahead of me, no matter how much I prayed or fasted or tried to get into God's word, I could never really attain it. And so the other thing that what I would do is I would look at people and I, I'm using my own reference point because I think a lot of people do the same thing. Um, I, what I used to do was look at people who I admired, like my pastor, my, you know, the, the elders of the church, or someone I considered like a spiritual giant or a popular person on television or online, like a popular preacher or somebody. I would go and listen to them and their message and their sermon from the last week, trying to figure out if maybe they had the riddle, they had the inside scoop on how to solve this question for me, what is God's will? <clears throat> and uh, the, the same thing kind of happened in the movie, right? Nicolas Cage was, um, he, he had, you know, knowledge because he went to college and knew history, but he also had these stories that were passed down from generation and only his family and only his relatives really knew what they are. And somehow he pieced those things together with the movie script. But I mean, his character pieced these things together with you know, the, um, this kind of creativity, and he was the only one who could solve the riddle. And I think there's a lot of people in church and who call themselves Christians who are looking for a man to solve the riddle. They're trying to find somebody who can answer these undefined questions because we're illiterate on God's word. We don't know what it says, and we're looking for someone that's got this answer. They're going to say something in the right way, and it's going to go, cha-ching, now I have God's will. <clears throat> and this is a frivolous effort. It leads nowhere because I ran down this road and can testify personally there's nothing down this road. Why do I bring this up in the middle of this message is because this same type of thing, this, this group of people who went around telling everybody they had the inside scoop, they had special knowledge that was greater than all the apostles and greater than Paul and greater than the, the, Bible, the, 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 the books of the Bible that were being written and handed out to them. They, they, um, they were called Gnostics, and they were around during this time. And the word Gnostic is spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic. And we're going to see how many of y'all are 
as old as I am because the G is silent, right? So anybody ever watch an old show? Probably if you're under 30, you're not going to know what this is. But um, everybody remember the old show, No Good News is Good Good News without Gary Gnu? Nobody? Okay, it's just us rednecks from Florida who watched that show. My bad. Uh, so anyway, um, but the, the G is silent. That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, that joke tanked on that one, right? But so the Gnostics were people, the next line here in your notes um, is this, is that they were people who believed they have special knowledge, oftentimes mystical knowledge. People who believe they have special and oftentimes mystical knowledge. <clears throat> now, here's an example of what they would say. They would, they would hear the story of Jesus, but they would add things on to it. They would add things on to the story. They would hear the teachings of Paul and go, oh, but that's not all. Also this. And they were piling on constantly um, to the message of the gospel. And it was stuff that wasn't in line with Scripture. Now, let me give you an example of what happened. So some of the Gnostics, these people who believed they had special knowledge, they didn't believe that Jesus was God his whole life. They believed that he was God for only part of his life. Now, this is obviously wrong, right? But so in, in, in your notes here, some Gnostics believed that Christ, the God part of him, the Savior part of him, entered Jesus during his baptism and left during his crucifixion. This idea is completely opposite of Scripture. It's wrong. But Gnostics believe they have special knowledge so they can assume or imply their own human understanding on the text, even if it's a contradiction to the Bible. These people believe they have extra knowledge. They have extra um, secret knowledge that isn't available to anybody else, only to the people that are in their group. And they can tell you what the scripture says, but they can also tell you what it really means because it's not complete. This is really wildly dangerous. And it's one of the reasons that Paul said in this in this passage, you can have knowledge of God's will. You can have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. He's telling them, ignore all these people with this quote-unquote special knowledge. Ignore all these Gnostics and stay with the truth of the gospel. These types of Gnostic ideas were prevalent in the area of Colossae, which is Colossians. The people that, you know, that was written to in the letter of Colossians and still exists today in many churches. <clears throat> God has not given one man or one group of people any special way to get access to any special information that is not available to all of us. No one person or group has access to get something that you can't get. Now, you, pro you may not be able to get an answer to Ryan if he's in the middle of making a decision. You, you probably can't get an answer for him. Maybe God would give you a, some, a word to go speak to him that will confirm to him. What's going to be spoken to Ryan is for him, and the way that God leads him is directly for him. But there is no access to any other special knowledge. And we need to be very wary, next line, very wary of people who claim to have special knowledge, especially inside the church. <clears throat> now, you could say, are there people who run around today 
and call themselves Christians or a church or lead, you know, lead churches or ministries and stuff that claim to have special knowledge, the things that they're really people running around here doing this? Oh, yes, my friend. There are many of them. I will give you two examples, just real quick, um, of people who I've heard of in the last few months or few years that this has happened to. <clears throat> okay, so there's one guy who calls himself a prophet. My mom and I were having this discussion last night. He, he calls himself a prophet, and he's attached to, let me put this uh, the right way, um, a large ministry on the West Coast. We'll just say that. He's attached to, to them, and he came out and said that he was visited by an angel. Not just an angel, but the angel Gabriel, like one of the highest archangels that Scripture mentions. The angel Gabriel visited him in a dream, and the reason the angel Gabriel visited him, this is his claim, is because, you know, Gabriel's not just in heaven, he's like in the throne room. And he's got a couple little bit of secrets of what's going on there inside scoop with God because he's in there and out of there. And so he kind of fills him in on some things and gives him a description of angels. And then he says, not kidding, this is what he said. These are his his description. I watched him say it. Um, Gabriel is a tall man with long blonde hair and dresses in wrestling clothes. Like professional wrestler, like tights, boots, a belt, and the big puffy hair, right? This was this guy, right? And so then he said a friend of his called him and said, hey, I was visited last night by an angel Gabriel. And he goes, wait, me too. Was he tall? And the guy goes, "Uh uh-huh. Did he have long blonde hair? And the guy goes, "Uh uh-huh. Was he wearing wrestling tights and boots and stuff? And he goes, "Uh uh-huh. And they went, oh my gosh, Gabriel talked to us. First of all, this guy had really bad turkey at Thanksgiving, right? He didn't let the internal temperature make 165 degrees. He ate it and got some kind of salmonella poisoning or whatever it is for uncooked turkey. This is completely unverifiable. How in the world do we know there's nowhere in Scripture that says that Gabriel's tall or short or if he has gold hair or a certain color hair? It sure doesn't say he walks around shirtless in tights, you know, flexing for people, you know, and giving out little secrets that he heard in the throne room of God. This is nuts. But this is what I'm talking about by somebody saying, I have special knowledge that you don't have. I have an insight that you don't have and you can't have. It just happened to me and to my special crew of people. There's not one shred of me that believes he really talked to to Gabriel. They're either number one, lying, or number two, they are speaking to an entity, but who are they talking to? And why don't they know the difference between a, God deli- a God-sent entity that we see in Scripture and one that dresses like a crazy wrestler from the 80s. That's a whole other message for another day. There's no secret knowledge for that. Number two. <clears throat> um, there's a man who several years ago decided to make his own, I will say, they, they want to call it a translation. I'll say version of the Bible. And he, it's called the Passion Translation. Now, you may have heard of this, and if you have a Passion Translation, I'm not condemning you to hell or anything like that. You have it on my shelf. I like it. Well, let me give you some history on how the Passion Translation was written. 
Every legitimate translation of the Bible has a crew of people working on it. They speak Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and not just Greek, but Koinonia Greek. They're experts and scholars in the, in the Greek history and in the Middle Eastern history at that time, Jewish history. And every, it's so that they can have a group of people to say, hey, I'm thinking this word says this. What do you think with your expertise and your training and all of that? This guy had none of that. He just sat down and decided to write it on his own. He doesn't have any insight. He doesn't have any degrees to, uh, to, to back up his claims of knowing how to translate these words, or he doesn't have any expert expertise in this field. He just feels like, I'm supposed to do it. So he just went and did it. This is red flag number one. Number two is that his, his interpretations are wildly inaccurate. They're, they're terrible, actually. And that's not my words, because I don't have those degrees either. That's the response of the people who do have those degrees, who looked at his work and said, this is completely terrible and wrong. Those are red flags for us. But the greater red flag that applies to our discussion here today is this man believes that he had a dream and that in his dream, God took him to heaven and opened up a secret room with secret information that's not available to anybody else. It's only available to the people he brings up here in this little secret room. He said that while he was in that room, he saw something that made his his mind kind of go, wow, this is crazy. He said that in that room, he saw a book that said John chapter 22. Well, in your Bible, if you would look right now, you would see that John only has 21 chapters. And when he asked the Lord, can he take that book actually um, in his dream or hallucinogenic state, whatever he was in, he, uh, he, the Lord told him to take two books, which he did. And then he said, I want to steal that one. Like while he's standing next to God, his first thing in heaven in the special room is like, I want to steal a third book. I want more. And... But God says, no, you're not ready for that. But when you are ready, I will bring you back. I will give you an extra chapter of the Bible that's not in the one that you have. And then you can go give it out because it's like for the prophetic people in the end time. Then when he comes back from heaven, he says that Jesus Christ himself appeared in his room. I don't know if it's next to his bed or in his bathroom or on top of his dresser or something, but he appears to him somewhere in his room and says, and then he doesn't say anything to him, but he just breathes on him and goes, and the reason that he breathes on him is because, yeah, it's funny, right? The the reason he breathes on him is so this guy will receive the quote unquote spirit of revelation. Now, let me read to you what he says happened to him. These are his words. After he received this breath of God that was blown on him in his room. He, Jesus, breathed on me so that I would do the project. And I felt downloads coming instantly. I received downloads. It was like I got a chip put inside of me I got a connection inside of me to hear him better, to understand scripture better, the scriptures better, and hopefully to translate. I wanted to say that this guy like had some bad turkey for Thanksgiving, but this is way beyond that. Like he had bad crack for Thanksgiving, right? This is like he did drugs or something. This is a completely nuts 
nutso kind of thing, right? And how in the world do you challenge that? How in the world do you say, bro, there's no backing for any of this? How can you prove any of what you're saying so that all of us will be like, oh, there's more of the Bible coming? Actually, I have scriptures that say exactly opposite. In your notes, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, Do not add or subtract from the commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you. Psalms 30, verses 5 and 6, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come for Him, come to Him for protection. Do not add to His words, or He may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. That's a rough one. Here's even worse. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what's written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. You ever read Revelation and all the plagues that are in that book? That's not something I want. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that is described in this book. There is scripture here to contradict this quote-unquote special knowledge that this man claims that he has. Now look, there's nothing wrong with finding a new way of applying Scripture. There's nothing wrong with deepening our understanding of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with studying history or anything around the cities about Scripture to give us a deeper understanding of, of what has been written here for us. There's, and there's nothing wrong with undoing incorrect ideas that we have through Scripture. What is wrong are these crazies who say, I have special knowledge that none of you can have. And typically, when you say that, it's followed up by, by my book. <clears throat> buy my book, subscribe to my podcast, listen to my message, buy my DVD series. That's typically how this is framed. I'm going to make a bold statement here, and, I'm, and if someone comes to me later and says, do you really mean that? A hundred percent, I'll double down on it now. Okay? <clears throat> People who claim to have some form of special knowledge that isn't available to anyone else and can only be directly received from them ultimately desire to be worshipped. People who do that ultimately desire to be worshipped. What is worship? Submission, honor, and affection. We've learned this in an earlier series this year. They want you to submit to their special knowledge, honor their position as some hierarchical figure that receives some special thing, and they want you to talk good about them, affection to everyone else, so that they will come and they will gather people together under them. The danger here is found clearly in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There is one God and one mediator who reconciles God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Everything that we do, everything that your favorite preacher has to say, everything that your favorite pastor has to say, every per, every um, everything that your favorite uh, famous uh, uh, teacher or Bible person that you listen to has to, says has to line up with God's word. It has to. God's will can clearly be found in His word. 
It's the next line in your notes. God's will can clearly be found in his word. So if his will is his desire, let's talk about a couple things really quick that he desires from his word. Letter A, God desires everyone to be saved. This is everyone. This is not a special group of people. This is not just a group of people who, who are picked somehow by God and then they're, you know, everyone else who wants to get in on it can't get in on it. There's not, this is not just reserved for the leaders or anyone who's a teacher or anything. He wants everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. That's a message for another day, but somebody should uh, feel really relieved right there. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everybody. He wants everybody to be saved. It's his desire. B, what else does God desire? God desires everyone to live a a godly life. God desires everyone to live a godly life. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Excuse me. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help. Help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. What else does God desire? Let us see. He desires everyone to love Him and love others. Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40 Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. <clears throat> now, after all of that, that was the majority of the message. It's all one point. You could think, for a second to yourself, or may, you might be wondering, listening to this, you might go, thank you for the education on Gnosticism. Thank you for the education on how to hear God's will. What in the world does this have to do with aggressive gratitude? <clears throat> I want to be very clear. There is nothing or no one standing in between you and God except Jesus who opened the door for us to walk in and sit at the table as children of God. You don't have to go to anybody else. You don't have to find somebody who's got the gift to tell you what to do. You don't have to go to somebody who's, I have to go find this quote-unquote prophet. Are there prophets? Yes. But are there prophets who see wrestlers in their dreams? No. Do I have to, is that God's will is so unknown and I can't figure out what I really need to do. I need to go to someone and sit under them to get to God. No, God tore the veil in two. He removed the barrier for us to get to him. Any depth of relationship that we want to have with God can be attained. There is no special knowledge. There is no special relationship. There is no special insight that someone else has that is not available to you. You don't need a chip inside of your head to hear God's voice. You, If you are a believer, you have the spirit of almighty God. The God that raised, the, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He created 
created everything. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He has all power and he lives inside of you. There is no reason to think that we have to go somewhere to get someone to tell us what this scripture really means. God is not playing some game of hide and seek with you. He's not trying to keep you on this never ending quest. Come close to me. Seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be opened to your pastor. No, to you. Will it be open to anyone else who says that they have some insight to God that you don't have? No, it'll be open to you. Let us remove the barriers in our mind to think that we have to go through someone else to get to him. Your boys will sit back down because I'm tired after that one. And I'm out of shape. (sighs) Gratitude thanks God for his word. And we should thank God for his word. We should thank God that we have a Bible accessible to us every second of every day here in this country. But aggressive gratitude thanks God that he is available to all believers equally and that he gives wisdom and understanding to all who ask him for it and that we can find his will in his word. I'm trying to pick on, decide on which job I need to take, Matt. Go pray with, go, go pray. Take your Bible and read it. And then somehow he uses that prayer time, his peace, the circumstances around you, the words that he speaks to you and his word in this way to point you in the right direction. If I could explain it, then I would be God. I'm not him. He says he puts these pieces together and he speaks to you through the power of the spirit that's in you and you can decide the right way to go. You can find his will. It is not being hidden from you. How come everybody can't find it? Because the people who are not saved have not given their life to God. The people who haven't done this, this is all foolishness to them, and that's in his word. The mysteries and promises of the gospel are foolishness to those who are in the world. They are in darkness. They don't understand that this is the truth. They want to go find a guru. They want to go find a teacher. They want to go find somebody to sit under, to give me the magic bullet, give me the key so I can hit success and find happiness. And none of that works. And it sure as heck doesn't work in the church of Jesus Christ because you may look and go, well, how do you get these messages? I go and pray. I read the Bible. Do I go into my secret pastor closet that they gave me a key to when I decided to plant a church and follow the leading of the Lord and get the secret knowledge to come out? No. Will that mean that I do some things wrong? Yes. But my goal is not to give you my word. My goal is to go to his reservoir, which is his word, where his power is with his spirit and deliver to his children his word and feed you what he wants, not what I want. And if you think that you have to come to me to hear God for you, you are gravely mistaken and you elevate me to a position of danger and you reduce God to a position of um, um, inability. Well, I can't teach like you teach. Right. I can't sing like you sing. 
I can't evangelize like you evangelize. I can't do the thing that you do. You were given a gift to encourage the body. I'm not talking about that. That is available to whoever God gives it to. That's to encourage the body. It's not to walk around and go, I got this knowledge. I got this insight that no one else is going to be able to tell you except for me. So come over here and follow me. No, we follow Jesus. Follow him. Remove the barrier. And when we remove the barrier and we realize there is nothing that hinders us except our own flesh and inconsistency and selfish desire, when we realize that's the only barrier between us, we go to the foot of the cross, we repent, and we get our sins forgiven. We stand up free and grateful to God that there is no barrier between us. That right there should make me more grateful than I ever have been in my life. That doesn't make me go, oh, thank you for your word, God. No. Thank you that your will can be known, that you can speak to me in every scenario of my life through this book, through the miracle of salvation, through the miracle of your spirit. God, thank you for every one of these things. That's aggressive gratitude. Point number two, last one for today. It'll be much shorter than the first one, I promise. Gratitude to God for our inheritance. Gratitude to God for our inheritance. We're going to keep reading Colossians 1, verses 11 through 14. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to His people who live in the light. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. When we hear the word inheritance, especially in our culture, we look around and go, oh, inheritance is what my parents, when they're old and they pass away, they leave me their money or their house or their car or their you know, winning lottery ticket or whatever it is. <clears throat> Do you have one of those, Mom? No? Okay. Dang it. But <clears throat> um, um, <laughs> um, well, we typically think that those things that are left to us are our inheritance, and those are a tangible, physical inheritance. There's a godly inheritance that can be passed on to us from our parents to us as their children, and we will turn in turn pass to our children about the importance of God's Word, the truth of the Gospel, that Jesus ultimately is the only way to be reconciled with God and have our sins forgiving, and every pursuit outside of God ends up being a waste. And as I would think about that version of inheritance, I would go, well, Jesus died, but he kind of rose again. So does he have a bank account somewhere that he's supposed to leave the rest of his kids to draw out of? Because I didn't get that one when I got saved. <clears throat> you know, is there a house or some land or something I'm supposed to be searching for? No, no. Is there a dog that I want to kill? Yes. But I mean, is there some kind of inheritance that's been left to me? No. And so I would view this idea of inheritance kind of like I viewed God's will. How could you really know what it is? It's kind of out there. And yes, I am inherited. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. But what does that really mean? And I found the answer 
in God's Word. Next line in your notes, the Christian inheritance in Scripture is simply the promise of being born again and spending eternity with God in heaven. The Christian inheritance in Scripture is simply the promise of being born again and spending eternity with God in heaven. Gratitude thanks God for heaven. And we should do that. But aggressive gratitude takes time to think of what life and eternity would be without Jesus. You, as a believer in Christ, a son and daughter of the King, have an inheritance. And that inheritance is what? Being born again. God did not come. Jesus did not die to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. When we say born again, it means that there is a new life that is inside of us. There is the spirit of almighty God that rests inside of us, that we have an ability to be free like we have never been free before. We have this ability. And our other inheritance is an eternity with him. It's hard enough for me. And maybe it's easier for you, but for me, I, I, I'm a detail guy and I overthink things, which is not obvious at all, right? <clears throat> but when I think about eternity, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around understanding forever. Like I'm in my early to mid 40s and some people be like, oh my gosh, you have been alive forever, <laughs> you know? And it feels that way sometimes, it does. So don't laugh at me, all you young folks, but... Um, how do I wrap my head around living in the perfect place with no sorrow, no death, no loss, no destruction? In the perfect environment, the perfect atmosphere with the perfect loving God forever. And I never get tired of it. I could eat the same thing for every meal and never get tired of it. But after about six months, I might go, I want some chicken instead of this steak. It's a stretch for me, but I think I would say that. And now to think about what eternity would be like without God. A sense of constantly drowning. The Bible refers to it in a descriptive way as a lake of fire. Torment, burning, like I was drowning and falling at the same time. All of that forever. It never ceases. I never get used to it. That is the future for people who reject God. To not be able to sense any restraint from God any love from anyone or to be able to give it to anyone. I can't wrap my head around the, the, the severity of that. But when I try to, when I try to think about what that would be like, my heart is just explodes with gratitude that he did not allow me to go to the end I deserved. He gave me an end I don't deserve. And that's one with him for life instead of death. 
It's easier for me to wrap my head around my life. What my life would have been without Jesus. What would our life look like if we were left to our own devices? What would our life look like if all we ever did is what we want, there was no restraint, and we just chased after everything that we decided in the morning or in the afternoon that we wanted to do that day, and we just went and did that and got to the end. See, to some people, that they feel like, that's freedom, and my friends, that's ultimately you choosing your own bondage. Freedom is not having rules is not defined as not having rules I'm going to do what I want because people who have that attitude wind up in positions that lead them to slavery can you imagine what life would be like if we were left to endure all of life's tragedies without the comfort of our savior and the peace of the holy spirit I never would have got over the death of my dad I can tell you that right now. I never would have got over some of the things that have happened in my life. And one of the things I want to encourage all of us to do is take some time this week to go back and look at your life and say, where would I be? Without going, whoo, thank you for saving me, God, because I was a hot mess back then and just moving on. No, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. The aggressive part of gratitude means we go deeper and we give more effort to think about the things and the ways that God has protected us and saved us and shielded us. And when we see the depth of his love for us, when we go back in these moments and think about where I could have been, our hearts should leap again with an intense amount of gratitude that we wouldn't normally I don't want you to say it out right now, but I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I look back at my own life and say, man, without Jesus, where would I be? I never would have met my wife. I never would have known my son. I would have had a child probably out of wedlock. And in some form of trying to make it right, I probably would have got married to the wrong person. Which would have ended in divorce. I'd have been miserable sitting in in a job my whole life that I hated knowing that I was letting my poten- the potential of my purpose slip away into nothing. I would have been eaten up by anger, bitterness, disappointment in myself. I put my own family through enough hell as a teenager when I was angry and mad at God and stuff, and graciously, they don't tell anybody those stories. But that anger that I had as a kid would have spilled out on everybody in my life as I got older. And it would have grown with me. I'd be severely tempted to 
drown my problems in alcohol. I would have lived for the weekend and felt like everything was just out of reach for me and would have been a prisoner of my own entitlement. I would have been bound up with such lust and immorality that I wouldn't know what to do. And I'd hate myself for doing it, but be in bondage to go back to it. I can guarantee you that's just the tip of the iceberg of where I would be. What that way? I thank God for the protection in my life, but one of the things I'm most thankful for is the protection from myself. Yes, other people could have done stuff to harden me, but I'm thankful God spared me of the full brunt of my own stupidity. Thankful that He didn't allow me to experience the full consequence of the choices I made, the things I pursued on my own. It's hard sometimes to go back because some of these things some of us have experienced and God has delivered us from them or brought us out of them. But for me, to go back and look at those things only makes me more grateful to the God that I serve. I can't imagine having a child and having to all the custody things and back and forth, you know what I mean? And I know people live with that on a more regular basis, but in my own mind, I couldn't imagine that. Seeing being a single parent, the stress and the stuff that was involved with that, I couldn't imagine that. But I look back in my life and I just go, thank you, God. I don't have any idea where I would be without Jesus, but I know it would be bad. So I want to encourage you this week to step out with your Bible and your Word. And I don't want you to go back to the hole, the place of being overrun by things that you did, bad decisions that you made, and where the guilt of it. That's not what I'm trying to get you to do. I'm trying to get you to go back and take a deep dive into some of those scenarios and go, oh my God, he saved me from so much. Before we go, I'm going to have Brian come and sing a song. But before that, I want to read one last scripture to you. When I go back and think about where my own life would be, I have great encouragement in this scripture, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. He adopted me into sonship. Because you're His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but you're God's child. And since you're His child, God has made you His heir. The inheritance of the death and sin of my own life would have led me to an eternity of destruction. But when God stepped in, He set me free. 
and said, I'm going to give you a new inheritance, one that gives you me with you all the time and an eternity in paradise with me. That should make us glad. <clears throat> that should make us overwhelmed with gratitude. I'm going to have Brian come and sing a song real quick. And when he sings, all I want you to do <clears throat> is take just the next probably two minutes and just begin to think of where you would be without Jesus. And as the moments of gratitude pour out of your heart, if you just want to say thank you, tell him thank you. If you want to lift your hands, tell him how good he is, tell him how good he is. If you want to sit there and just, and just relish in a heart of gratitude to your Savior, do that. Whatever it is, I'm going to encourage you to do that while he sings. And then afterwards, I'll come and pray and we'll be done. Oh.